0: Michelle O'Neill here with O'Neill Wasaki. I'm joined by Michael Wasaki, my partner, and Brian Siegel, one of our lawyers at our firm. We're going to talk to you in this session about child custody evaluations. So, a couple of years ago, Texas passed some new laws about child custody evaluations that, at least in my experience, has really kind of dramatically changed how we approach them. They even changed the name of them. We used to call them social studies, and now we have this long-term child custody evaluation. So this uh, 30-minute segment, we're going to talk about um, how the new laws have affected how we're approaching child custody evaluations and some strategies for dealing with them, even what to do if you lose the custody evaluation. Uh, So you want to kick us off? Who wants to kick off? Ryan, you want to talk about what the differences are and what's new?
1: Well, so uh, I mean, what I like to what I like to talk with about the client is what this whole thing entails, right? Because they're like, I don't know what this is. I tell them, look, this is going to be a long process. It is not a short process by any stretch of the imagination. Um, This is a process that is going to take several months, in some cases, years. I, I mean, I, I know we've got a case right now, Michael, that that custody evaluation is probably gone for about close to two years now.
0: I've got one that's gone for two years. Right, yeah. and,
1: and so when I sit and talk with the clients, I tell them this is what you need to prepare for, and You know, we talked in the last segment about journaling and everything like that. All these documents that you have amassed need to be provided to this custody value. Because here's what they're going to do. They're going to come into, they're going to talk with you, they're going to talk with the child, they're going to talk with, you know, um, ancillary sources, they're going to talk with the opposing side, they're going to visit your home, things like that. And you need to be prepared for that, because if you're not prepared for that, then you're you are not going to get a very beneficial custody evaluation. Um, I think it's important to tell tell them tell the client that is how to interact with the custody evaluator because I think it's very important. You don't want the client to be barraging this person with constant emails and constant you know, binders and everything like that. You need to strategically give them at certain times documents that will help your case, but you don't want to overwhelm them by any stretch of the imagination. Um, The other thing that I always tell them to do is make sure that... um, you are being the better co-parent i might be jumping ahead of here a little bit but uh but making sure that you're showing how you've attempted to co-parent whether it be small little things which are instead of saying my child it is our child and i have heard countless evaluators say that that is a Sticking point for them,
0: or worse, their child. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: the worst one. Right. I mean, all these factors are things that the clients need to know when when you first discuss the possibility of a custody evaluation. Because I think with when if the client is prepared for these things, they're going to be able to go in to court and to this custody evaluation with the knowledge of what to expect and and setting their expectations. I mean, heck, that's 90% of our business. Well, of course.
0: Yeah. You know, I think one of the big things about the new custody evaluation laws is that it restricts the universe of people who can offer an opinion Mm -hmm. about custody. So it used to be before this law, it used to be that any old treating mental health professional could come in and say, well, I think this person should have custody. And, you know, and then you could bring in the medical doctor and mm-hmm. say, who do you think should have custody? And now it restricts that down and, and requires that if you're going to offer an opinion about who should have custody of a child – that you have to have complied with this custody evaluation statute. So for me, I think one of the, the big things about the law is that it, it has eliminated a lot of the noise of other people and other professionals kind of opining about custody. Have you seen that, Michael, of as course. being as being an impact in your cases?
2: Yeah, the uh, the pool of individuals um, capable and or willing to provide uh, child custody evaluations has uh, dramatically decreased, yeah. and and you you do not see uh, very many uh, new people throwing their hat in the ring either.
0: Yeah, and that's because the the qualifications have gone up. You have to have a, whole, a lot more. Um, education and go to some seminars and things like that have training to be able to even do one right Um, and then and then you have what I see are these treating mental health professionals who are now scared to where is that line where is it when I'm actually saying a custody recommendation versus not saying one like where is that boundary line and a lot of mental health professionals are even scared to kind of get even close to that, because of violating the statute, well,
2: and just and or just unwilling, um, because they uh, don't want any confusion as with regard to their role. Their role, and so, um, so again, it all these things c- come together to create a uh, you know perfect little uh, storm at, that that uh, limits the number of people willing to jump in the ring. Yeah, and uh, and then. Uh, what that does is it limits your pool and so you know in general who the, the individuals in your jurisdiction are uh, who uh, perform these types of evaluations, which in a sense is good. Uh, it helps you in uh, advising the client um, as to what to expect uh, from a given evaluator. For instance, we know Uh, which evaluator can probably turn a report around in six months versus one who, if if you're lucky, they'll turn a report around in two years, um, uh, if you're lucky. Uh, And so...
0: um, Do you find that to be a strategy point that you can use for your advantage one way or the other?
2: You know, absolutely, um, uh, for sure. Uh, If you... Uh, have a circumstance where you, for instance, obtained a, signif- uh, obtained a significantly favorable temporary order. Um, obviously, a child custody evaluator who's going to take longer uh, may not necessarily disadvantage uh, your client. However, if it's a circumstance where perhaps um, you don't believe that uh, uh, temporary orders uh, came down as you had hoped, uh, but you think a child custody evaluation can help ferret out some of the issues that you didn't have time to get in front of the court to assist the court in in making the court's determination on temporary orders, uh, a child custody evaluation could help ferret out some of those issues quickly and perhaps get them back in front of the judge on a final uh, to give you a better shot at turning that temporary orders ruling around. Um, you might want someone who's quicker, plenty quicker uh, yeah. and plenty capable of 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 uh, getting a report turned around and back back on the judge's desk to say hey judge you know you, you didn't have time at temporary orders to see all this but you know perhaps if you had seen all this you would have made a different decision because I think the decision should be this um, so yeah there's there's a lot of things to take into consideration and in, uh, not you know um, well uh, whether or not one to request a custody evaluation but two uh, who you should su- should suggest uh, performs that evaluation.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I, I find beneficial from a strategic point in uh, dealing just even in drafting the order appointing the custody evaluator, now it allows us to ask specific questions that the custody evaluator has to answer. So it's not just the form order and kind of the normal, like, parenting skills questions, but you can actually ask questions that the evaluator has to answer. So what I've found um, that I like to do, especially in a modification suit, is ask in those questions the things that might be relevant. Like if parental alienation is something that, that your client believes is happening, Asking the question, you know, do you find that parental alienation is happening? Mm-hmm. You know, is if there's a question of whether there's a change of circumstances, like kind of that applying the legal standard to the facts, right. has, you know, the circumstances of the child changed significantly enough to warrant a change in their residence or, you know, something like that. I find that there's some advocacy that can happen even just in the drafting of that order by asking those questions.
1: Do you think that's that question about the material change in circumstance, they can give an opinion on? It?
0: I think you have to word it carefully. I don't think they can give an opinion on the legal standard, but I think you can ask them what changes they find are affecting the child. You know, mm-hmm. In other words, you're going to the materiality question, creating facts. And evidence that affect that materiality question because it's not just any change of circumstances that'll do it has to be a material or a substantial change you know for example just because one parent gets remarried to a new spouse that can be a material change of circumstance but it doesn't necessarily have to be so kind of getting the custody evaluator to pinpoint changes that are significant, that are affecting the child, is a way to bridge that gap between the legal standard versus the factual standard. Um, So uh, another thing that I think is is impactful in the change in the law is this kind of laundry list in the statute of things that the custody evaluator must do, Mm -hmm. Uh, the checklist of things that the custody evaluator has to complete, in order for the custody evaluation to comply with the law. I think there's, again, a lot of lawyering that can happen in this list. Um, But to start with, don't you think that's one of the things that's making these things a little more complicated and last longer, take longer to finish than it used to? Uh,
2: For sure. Um, Obviously, uh, no evaluator wants their report uh, found to be inadmissible or thrown out on on technical reasons, so uh, you see your evaluators uh, at least making attempts to be more thorough, um, given the way that the statute's now laid out. So
0: yeah, yeah, I think also the the like for example the requirement in the rule for balanced interviews. Hmm. You know, before the law actually said that, before the law required balanced interviews, we would often see where a custody evaluator might spend a whole lot more time with one party than the other. Um, so I think that's maybe one of the things that's a good thing about the law, is, is the requirement that it be balanced. Right. Um, and, and therefore that, that both parents have that kind of equal time. Um, but I also think that, that's, that this is a place where it can kind of get out of hand. I mean, if you've got one person that's very wordy, then the other parent gets gets equal time, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that can you know maybe get out of hand Mm
2: -hmm.
0: how do you Michael when you're starting and 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 I want to talk before we're done about whether you even ask for a custody about but let's start with we're assuming we're having a custody evaluation Sure. how do you as a lawyer approach providing information to the custody evaluator um, you know relevant information do you do that do you have your client do that how do you approach that
2: Um, well both uh, but my the way I look at it is real simple and the way that I uh, try and get my clients to look at it is, is a little simple as well um, when you think of yourself um, if uh, you were given a task to um, well let's see if you if you were given a task to um, make a uh, a determination of who to give a a contract to let's say uh, you were the person at your job uh, tasked with who deciding who to to you know buy um, furniture from and one person comes and provides you a disheveled stack of you know this is this stack of all these random documents these are these are all the different furniture options we have And then the next person brings in a nice, bound, uh, clearly laid out catalog with tabs and uh, different sections. One with tables, one with chairs, one with, um, you know, uh, maybe this person over here with everything that's all disheveled actually has the best stuff. Uh, But but this other person over here laid it out for you in a clear, clean, concise, easy way for you to go through it. Well, uh, I mean, which one... Are, are you actually going to take the time, any of us going to take the time to actually go through that disheveled stack of of options? I mean, we might, but probably not. Uh, and so what I like to tell my clients is, look, um, it's just like with anything else in life, um, most often human nature is to travel down the path of least resistance. And so when, in a custody evaluation, we need to make the path that we want the custody evaluator to go down to be. A path that's easy uh, we you want them to read a bunch of messages okay well let's organize them let's make them clean let's make them concise let's do a cover letter with them that says You know the relevance of them and and highlight them so that way if it's multiple pages they know well these are the the various highlighted portions are the ones that are that are most important Um, and so um i i oftentimes have clients gather information for me and then what we do is we assist the client in putting them uh, in uh, and organizing them in a fashion that makes them easy much like that catalog of furniture Uh, for the uh, evaluator to go through and pick out the nuggets of important and relevant information uh, that relates to the children.
0: I'm sure for an evaluator, one of the worst things they can see coming is just like the onslaught of documents, Mm -hmm. you know, of of here's all the text messages for the last five years between these people. I'm sure the evaluators are like, oh gosh, you know. (laughs) So maybe doing summaries yes you know
2: yeah for sure
0: um and like you said tabbing highlighting things mm-hmm. like that
1: right and you have to be careful as well that they don't over not only overshare but overload them with information you know that and there is going to be a difference between you know maybe not getting notice of a doctor's appointment versus maybe they were a little their clothes were a little tight or a little baggy but you know you have to pick and choose your battles and you don't want to necessarily show you know everything that this other parent has done for the last five years versus you know picking and choosing okay these are the important points that we want to focus on and making sure that as michael said kind of getting the custody evaluator towards those points because that's going to be another issue as well because they're going to i mean i've got this in in a case that i had in which the custody evaluator said you know your client is you know makes mountains out of molehills essentially And, and and that was kind of the big knock on them was they're making this big deal of these little things and at some point, the custody evaluator is going to say that, and that may affect his or her evaluation in the end. So,
0: Right. So how do you advise clients to balance between focusing on the negative qualities of the other parent as the reason why they want custody versus focusing on their own positive qualities? Because obviously, the, you know, there's some amount of communication of both of those that has to happen. But how do you get clients to balance that?
1: I always it goes back to the organization for me it goes back to here's here's maybe two different binders one binder with this is everything that I you know shows all my good qualities and hopefully the binders are relatively the same size um, but some sort of organization to help that custody evaluator sh- see hey this is what my client's been doing versus what the other side has been doing during the same time period because showing them that I mean again that's going to go to that whole to co-parenting which is a huge part of these evaluations as to how the other person gets along with the other person um I think that's even in in the statute there uh, as as far as balancing those things and making sure that the client isn't just you know dragging the other person over the coals the entire time because they've got to show not only what's happening, especially modifications, as mm-hmm. to what's wrong with the status quo and why we're trying to flip it.
0: So. Right, right. What do you think about that, Michael, as far as that balance of saying negative stuff about the other side versus positive stuff about your own side?
2: Sure. So much like the, the factors that the court looks at, if the court were making a determination as to who a primary conservator should be or whether or not to have joint managing conservators versus a sole conservator, a child custody evaluator is going to look at the same or similar factors as the court would. Um, And much like we discussed earlier, um, one of the factors that they're going to look at is uh, whether or not the person requesting to be the sole or the person requesting to be the primary conservator uh, is a person who can facilitate a relationship between the other parent and the children. Uh, support the relationship that the children have with the other parent, as well as uh, create an environment uh, that the parents are able to, or at least uh, able to attempt to be positive co-parents. So if you're, while you you want to provide obviously uh, information to the evaluator that shows the evaluator the things that the other parent may not be doing appropriate or uh, bad acts that that parent may be engaging in but you also want to do it in a way toward the evaluator knows that um uh, that you're not doing it in a disparaging way so much as you're doing it in an informative way uh, uh to keep uh the option open in the evaluator's mind that well they're providing me this information but they're they're Uh, not foreclosing the idea in my head that they can still be a positive co-parent with that parent uh, so much as that um, uh, they recognize the faults of that parent and they recognize how those faults may play into their co-parenting relationship. Uh, And so a good example of that would be like if you had a a best friend who was an alcoholic um, uh, and you understanding that, uh, or, or, you know, or, a, or a family member that was an alcoholic, um, you know, that we, if you go around, well, you know, so-and-so is just a drunk and a this and a that and a blah, da, 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 or if you, you know, acknowledge, uh, you know, John has a drink problem. And, uh, so what we do is when we go out to eat, we go to places that don't serve alcohol, or if we're going to have dinner, uh, we, we don't, uh, put alcohol on the table. Uh, and so, uh, same thing, uh, in a situation with an evaluator, you, you choose how you're going to handle that. Uh, are you going to handle it? The, you know, uh, you know, mom's a, a worthless, drunk, druggy, um, adulterer, uh, or are you going to say, you know, evaluator, I know that my children's mother has problems and I recognize those problems, and here's what I've done with regard to the children to try and navigate those problems while still maintaining an appropriate relationship. Obviously, in my opinion, the, the latter route is the best route.
0: Well, and I think you make two good points. I mean, one is always focus on the child, and that's what I try to tell my clients is, You know, if you're if you're going into this interview with the evaluator of just trying to take out the bat and beat the other parent up, that's going to become obvious to the evaluator that it's all about this relationship with the other parent. Where if you go into the into the meeting with the evaluator, child focused. And I say the same thing about hearings in testimony, like always focus on the effect on the child, you know. Whether they're out there, you know, with fifteen mistresses or, you know, drinking every day or whatever, all of those things may or may not be relevant, but it's how it affects the child. You know, the child was embarrassed when when their mother showed up at the T ball game drunk. Mm-hmm. The child was embarrassed this. The child was affected that. You know, and so it's it to me you always look better when you're focused on the child um as opposed to just going in there saying negative stuff about the other parent i look at it as like like in politics season whenever you know it's presidential election time and all the ads are on tv you know which ads are we normally like just drawn to you're drawn to the positive ads the ones that focus on the positive quality of the candidate you know does is it necessary for the candidates to say some negative stuff yeah but tell me how that affects me don't just sit there and say you know that other guy's a piece of crap you know in your political ads mm-hmm. same concept here like you know don't just go in there trying to beat up the other parent or tell them tell the evaluator as if the evaluator you know is the determiner of who's right and who's wrong you know, always focus it back on the audience and how is this affecting the child. Right. That's what I think, mm-hmm. you know. So then um, kind of taking the ball a little bit further. You, you have your custody evaluation. You know, everybody's done their part and done their best to, to present their best foot forward. And out comes the report. And somebody has a lot of good things said about them and somebody has a lot of negative things said about them. So what? What as lawyers? What do you do next? You know, if you lose the custody evaluation, what do you do next?
2: Well, the first place to start is obviously the statute. Uh, the statute, as we pointed out earlier, lays out a framework within which the evaluator must must uh, work and uh, things that the uh, evaluator must do, uh, must look at, uh, must evaluate. Um, and if those things were not done as we talked about earlier when i said no evaluator once their report kicked out on a technicality well you start looking for those technicalities uh, in order to get that evaluation excluded Um, and uh, not just the statute you you look you'll look at look at a number of uh external factors as well that may not be explicitly listed in the factors um to attempt to challenge the expert report uh sometimes referred to as a daubair challenge uh, to say that this evaluator did not comply with the standards uh, set forth or the standards that we would expect an expert to uh, comply with in uh, this state or this jurisdiction uh and uh, challenging a report under uh, those circumstances, uh, can be, uh, can be successful. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, so what I was in going off that take it one step further. So once you get, let's just say that those, that they have met all those, the statutory guidelines, let's go into where they got their information, right? Cause the evidentiary rules are still going to apply for this report. So, talk about what sources do they use and and the re- reliability of those sources. Because if you have an evaluator who's just using, you know, let's say dad's friends and we're representing mom, okay, well of course they're going to say certain things about uh, that are good for one side, and, but how reliable is that information? The other thing that I like to do is is go through that report and there's usually going to be some positives about your client pull those from the report because just because just just because the evaluator has an opinion as to who should be primary or what, you know, the conserva- right the ultimate mm-hmm. outcome that doesn't necessarily mean that the court's going to reach that same conclusion and and if you can hammer some of the points in that evaluation that can certainly lead To a beneficial outcome for your client
0: yeah yeah and you know I think that one of the things that I my personal approach is to never give up because you know you may get a a, you know a negative recommendation in the report but like you said there's going to be some positive things said in the report about your client and you can focus on those but also just never give up because I've had two cases, one for me and one against me, where in the middle of trial, the expert actually flipped their recommendations. And so so never giving up, I think, is one of the keys of just you know continuing to kind of uh, reemphasize the things that are important about the case. I had a, a situation recently talking to what Michael was saying that, you know, going through the requirements of the statute, I had a, a report that was about to come out. And I had uncovered the fact that the evaluator had not spoken sufficiently to one of the very important treating experts, treating physicians. And that treating physician had told me that some information that needed to be given to that evaluator, that the evaluator hadn't asked for it. So anticipating that the report was almost gonna come out, I sent a letter to the evaluator saying, hey, you know, this guy has some information that you need to know, and here it is, I had a deposition transcript, and I'm like, here's some information from this deposition, and affirmatively gave it to him. Well, the evaluator got a little fussy at me about uh, sending her information after she'd already closed receipt of information. But she also, I think, was concerned enough about her, you know checking all the boxes under the statute that she actually reached back out to that per, that expert that I wanted her to reach out to and received the information. So I think you know that's an example of maybe being proactive before the report comes out. If you know there's some things that haven't been performed, and setting it up because if she hadn't done that, and if the report had gone against me, that would have been my exhibit one in my Daubert motion, complaining that she didn't comply with the statutory requirements. So, you know, I think I think you know, just keeping at it, never giving up, always always pushing forward on that. Um, can really make a difference in the ultimate outcome. Even if the recommendations themselves are against you, you can compare those recommendations to the opinions that are given within the body of the report and show the differences, the dichotomies, the things that don't line up. You know, um, you know, if in the body of the report it says that the, the parent is a good parent and stable and you know the child would be fine with them, but then it doesn't recommend that parent get primary custody, I mean, I think that's a place where you can show these opinions don't line up with these recommendations and use that as a cross-examination tactic. Hmm. Another thing just in the couple of minutes we have left that I think is important in the statute that seems to actually be something I'm having to talk about quite a lot lately with these evaluators is. And you mentioned this a minute ago, that now the rules of evidence actually apply to the report and to the evaluator. In, pa- in the past versions of the, of the Family Code, the evidence rules um, were a little unclear as to how they applied. But now the new statute actually affirmatively says the rules of evidence apply to this report, which means it's not automatically admitted into evidence. And if it contains hearsay or inadmissible information, then that information has to come out and the report may not even go into evidence at all. So I think those are a couple of things that are new with the statute that are, can be very beneficial um, in how you approach a trial, especially if you've lost a custody evaluation, Mm -hmm. you can keep out a lot of the negative stuff about your client by using that rule, um, the evidentiary rules that um, can kind of keep that stuff out. Correct. All right, so we're at 30 minutes the end of session three on child custody evaluations. We're going into session four, winning strategies during the case all the way through trial. So stay tuned, we're gonna take a real quick break and we'll be right back. Keep in mind that this is a webinar that's aimed at attorneys. This is for continuing legal education. If you're out there watching this this webinar and you're not an attorney, we welcome you to watch it. But remember that we are not giving you any specific legal advice. We cannot comment on any specific case or situation without knowing all the facts. So if you need legal advice, this webinar is not a substitute for legal advice. Please, please seek the advice of a lawyer as to your specific situation and get specific advice to that. Because if you rely on just what we're talking about here, we're being general, we're talking about general legal principles that may not actually apply to your situation. This is for continuing legal education only, and we cannot create an attorney-client relationship just through the video camera. Okay? Thanks.